Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are not improper, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live, live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Uh, the Peltieres had to head out early this evening, so I don't know if you if that song moved you. It definitely moved me. Like write on my Facebook note or uh, hold your uh, encouragement until next week. But uh, that was just a wonderful encouragement. Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the music, uh, the Advent lighting. Uh, for this passage. Uh, it's an interesting passage. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it uh, and that we would be challenged and encouraged. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I, I have three older brothers, and they're all married. Uh, I have an older sister as well. Uh, one of my sister-in-laws, uh, she likes to poke fun at me on occasion about my, my um, feelings about sports. Uh, now, I know many people love sports, are enthusiastic, whether it's the Patriots or uh, uh, the Celtics uh, or the Bruins, uh, the different teams, but I am not as into sports. And so she posted this um, meme on my Facebook wall this week. I say, what a rather robust group of fellows. Which color are we rooting for? Uh, I guess she just felt like that would speak to my heart in some way. Because um, I don't really watch football or baseball or golf or anything like that. Uh, but I still want to try to start today with a little bit of a sports analogy. So if you'll just be gracious to me as I uh, attempt a sports analogy. Uh, so Ephesians 1 through 3. Now we've gone through this several times, but I think it's worth reviewing again. Uh, the first half of the book is a little bit like an inspirational pep talk. Paul is saying just how much we have in Christ Jesus. He's like a coach that says, this is why I've chosen you. 
Like, I've seen your skill. Like, I've seen, uh, I, I, I've seen your ability. I'm excited. You can do this. You're good. You're a part of the team. You're an important member. This is why we're putting you on the field. Uh, that's the first half of the book. It's good. It feels good. It's motivational. But then we get to the second half of Ephesians, and it's like we've started to play the game. We've started to get on the field, and it's halftime now, and we're down by 21 points, and the offense has to move the ball up the field, and the coach gives a speech, and he doesn't pull any punches. He says they have to play differently. They have to align their actions with the plan and to really move that ball up the field. And of course, I'm talking about golf. Uh, so... Uh, Ephesians 4 through 6, that's the second half. So Coach Paul, right, he's speaking to all the Christians, he's speaking to the church, the team, the believers, and he's saying, you have to do something different. You have to move. You have to live differently. And so as we read through the second half of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, we're going to encounter Paul telling us how to live, what to do. So he'll say things like, don't do that. Do do this. <laughs> this is what's good for you as a church. This is what's not good for you as a church. And so we're encountering more of that today. And we're, we're starting with kind of a, a negative play, like what, what shouldn't we do? And this is how Paul begins. He says this. He says that we as believers, we as the church, must abstain from immorality. We're looking at the first seven verses here in, in verse 18. We're not going to be able to read the whole passage tonight because it's a long passage. Uh, but you'll notice that it's really a continuation of the theme from last week. Uh, maybe in your NIV Bibles, sometimes they have like headers and, and breaks. Well, that's not in the original manuscripts, but you can see that chapter 5 doesn't really have a new header. It's just a continuation of the theme from last week. So it's so we're going to see a little bit more of the, of the same. Last week we talked about the old self and the new self. Those that know Christ and, and, and what that should look like versus our, our old patterns of sin before Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying that there really should be a change in us. And he roots this change here in Ephesians chapter 5 in following Christ Jesus Himself. So we read verse 1. It says this. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're being called to follow God's example and Christ's example even more specifically. Now, if I were to uh, continue with the sports analogy, uh, many teams have uh, a team captain, right? For example, soccer. Uh, on a soccer team, you have a captain who is responsible for rallying the team uh, on the field. Uh, this isn't a perfect analogy, uh, but I think sometimes uh, we view God as if he is like the owner of the team, right? And uh, in the sporting events, they always have like a shot of the owner, and he's always he's always way up high, yeah, like in the in the in the box seat, just very far away from the action. And so we kind of think, well, we're Christians, we're we're down here, and God's way over there. But we forget that through Christ Jesus, God has come and played on the field with us, right? God has been a part of the team, 
And he is our team captain. I think that's a, an okay illustration, an okay analogy, that Christ Jesus is our team captain. He has played the game, and he has played it perfectly. Now, our team captain has stepped off the field, right? He's not currently uh, uh, walking among us, but we can still follow his example, follow his example of love, learning to live and love and walk like him. And so as Christ Jesus walked and lived and played the game perfectly and purely, we want to follow his example. And so part of what Jesus did was avoid immorality. He abstained from immorality. And so we're going to look through this passage at the immorality that we're supposed to abstain from. There's uh, four different ones, sexual, greed, Spoken and drunken immorality. So we're going to take some time and look at each one of those. So the first one is sexual. Now this is probably the first type of immorality we think of when we think of the word immorality. Uh, It's sexual immorality. And this comes in verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual, sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. So this is the Greek word porneia. It's, it's where we get our, our modern word pornography. But what does porneia mean? Porneia means any and all sexual activity outside of committed, a committed lifetime marriage between one man and one woman. Now, uh, this comes from a, a broad reading of Scripture, and we see this actually later in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul lays out for us what marriage should look like. He does this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So Paul is saying what marriage should look like, what sexual activity should look like. It should be between a man and a woman who are married. And he's actually citing Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That means he's, he's rooting this in creation. So this isn't something that can change, but it's something that's permanent for all time. And so he cites Genesis 2, verse 24. So this means Paul is prohibiting people from engaging in all kinds of sexual activity outside of God's Genesis design. So this includes lots of different things. Premarital sex, fooling around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, adultery, divorce and remarriage without following the biblical guidelines, looking at pornography, filling your eyes with lustful images or or lustful movie clips. When two men or two women engage in a sexual relationship, these are the things that this encompasses. Because Paul lays out what is acceptable and what is good, and it's in Ephesians 5.31. So when Paul says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, uh, does he mean that if you've ever committed any of these sins I've just talked about, that you can't like, be a part of a church, <laughs> that you can't come? Uh, just, would, would anyone come to church? <laughs> I, I wrestled with, like, what does Paul mean when he says, like, there must not even be a hint? I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a steep call. That's a steep challenge. On Thursday nights, we've been going through this study, Grace Truth uh, 2.0. It's from uh, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And it's a discussion of how do we give both grace and truth to LGBTQ people? 
How do we build relationships and, and be in relationships with them? And uh, the organization put out a paper, a pastoral paper, giving guidance on some of these topics, on how, how to welcome people into a church that might not agree with our, our view of human sexuality. And the paper argues, which I think is really helpful actually, that this is why we have, this is one of the reasons we have modern church membership. Now, the New Testament, there was churches and there was membership, but it looked much different than today, right? There was no like bylaws and constitution in the early church. There was, there was probably no like written out membership roles and membership procedures and policies that you had to follow. Uh, but membership can morph and change as, as we go along to kind of continue to match our current culture. See, membership today, where we have set members as part of the church, really helps us navigate some of these issues. It provides us with a set of expectations. So we set our expectations for those who say, I'm a member of the family. Okay, if you're a member of the family, then we have a set of expectations for you. If you say, I'm willing to submit to the leadership of this family and be held accountable by brothers and sisters in Christ from this family, that's a really good thing. And that helps us say, okay, this is our church. This is the church family, all of the members. Now, I've never been a part of a family that just said, we're only going to have relationship within this family. <laughs> we're never going to talk to anyone outside the family or host as guests people outside the family. No, if you're part of a family, you have people over. You have guests into your home. So we have a different set of expectations for those that don't commit to being a part of the family. See, if you're not a member of the family, what are you? You're a guest. So this paper, I brought some quotes from it. I thought this was helpful. In a family, guests are not outsiders to be kept at bay, but friends to be welcomed with hospitality. At our church, we invite guests to join the church family. But if they're not ready, we're stoked to welcome them into the living room. Give them the best seats in the house and lavish the best we have in our cupboards to care for them and make them feel at home. But there are expectations in a family. This is how we do life together. People joke about parents saying, as long as you live under my roof, but there is a reality that family needs to be a cohesive vision of life together. Family membership clarifies what we believe God the Father's vision is for his children, adopted into his home under the roof of his authority, through the presence of Jesus and the power of his spirit. So this is why we as a church <clears throat> say anyone can come, anyone can be a part, uh, can come and, and attend a cornerstone. But then we have our members who we really consider our family. And so this allows us to say, you know, we're trying to honor Paul's words, that there's a, a certain higher level of expectation of, of purity for church members, but at the same time, we remember Jesus' example. Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and people who were caught in sin. And so we try to balance both those things, where we say the church is the membership, and yet we have lots of guests. And so this is the first type of immorality, sexual immorality that we're called to abstain from, to be different from in a, in a culture that, that views it differently. And what's the second? The second immorality is greed. Verse 3 says this. It says, but among you, 
there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. For of this you can be sure, verse 5, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I think it's really important here to, to stop and to say that, to notice that Paul is equating, or at least he's, they're, they're kind of in the same category, uh, sexual immorality and greed. See, uh, sometimes as Christians, we, we have our antennas that we're really attuned to certain kinds of sins, Maybe sexual immorality. I think we can say that's true of the church, right? We've been really good about calling that out. But sometimes we forget about other sins that are equally as bad. <laughs> Greed. You know, we live in a culture that, uh, that hasn't accepted sexual immorality for, for much of its history. And yet, it has accepted Greed for much of its history. We live in a culture and a, and a society and a country that, that often approves of greed and applauds it, applauds it. It says you need to gain as much money and financial independence as you can. You need to have the good life now. And there are, there are many good aspects to the culture we live in. You can have financial independence there's also a dark side, consumerism, right? We always need more and more and more to be happy. Anytime we turn on the news or, or, or go online, we just see advertisement after advertisement. Well, consumerism is greed, and that's equally as wicked as sexual immorality. It's its own kind of immorality. And so I think we should challenge ourselves, right? It's like... It's like from Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, this is like the season for greed. <laughs> it starts with the Halloween candy, and you're just like munching on it, and they make it so small, you're like, I can just have another one, I can just have another one, and pretty soon you've eaten like half the, the bowl, it's really bad. And then Thanksgiving comes along, and there's Black Friday, right, and then Cyber Monday, and then the whole month of December, you're supposed to be shopping, how can we fight this kind of sin, this kind of immorality, this greed? You know, if we go to the mall, I don't know if any of you are mall shoppers. I, mean, I feel like most people do it online now. But if you go to the mall, right, chances are as good Christians, when you walk past that display that is using sexual, uh, kind of sexuality to advertise its products, you'll probably avert your eyes. And that's a good thing. But what about the rest of them all. As we, as we walk through, are we going to get caught in the consumerism? Like maybe we need to cut our trip to the mall short or uh, maybe not go at all. Just kind of assess, be mindful as we enter into the season. How can we make sure that we're being kind and generous and loving to our family and our friends, but not giving into greed, not giving into consumerism? <laughs> Not buying into the lie that if I can just have that one more thing, if I can just buy that one more product, I will be happy. Whatever that is. That's an immorality. That's immorality. That's sexual immorality, and then there's greed immorality. So there's four of them in our passage, and the next one comes right with it. Spoken immorality. Verse 4, no, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. See, if we, if we shouldn't participate in sexual immorality, we shouldn't joke about it, right? 
A clear marker between Christians and non-Christians should be what comes out of our mouths. See, what comes out of our mouths reflects what's in our hearts. If my heart is set on Christ and is pure, then I'm going to see things that normally reflect that come out of my mouth. Pure words, uplifting words, words that honor Christ Jesus. But if my heart hasn't been changed, well, then I'm going to see that reflected in my words, what I say. As believers, we need to avoid spoken immorality as well. And finally, the fourth type, drunken immorality. (laughs) Verse 18, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery means like indulging in pleasures. So they could be sexual pleasures or drugs or alcohol. And so drunkenness is, is indulging in alcohol. What does that do? It lowers our filters. It lowers our self-control. We begin to say things and do things that we would normally not say or do if we had not been drinking, if we had been sober. When we, when we engage in drunkenness, we're actually giving control of our bodies to our flesh, <laughs> to the old man, to the man or woman before Christ Jesus came and changed us. And the scriptures say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not to give ourselves to, to, to kind of the flesh controlling us, whether it's whether it's our, our sexual desires or it's our desires for more and more things or, or the words we say or, uh, or the things we, we fill our bodies with, alcohol. We're not to give ourselves to those things. We're to give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to Christ Jesus. And so this leads me to kind of our, our next point. We must abstain from immorality and expose our darkness to Christ's light. We talked about this a little bit last week, where we talked about repentance, right? Repentance is not just stopping something, it's also doing something. It's it's not just stopping the sin, but it's filling yourself with Christ. So we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. So how do we do this? Well, we get a new identity. We have a new identity in Christ. Verse 8 says this, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. See, if, if we know Christ, there's something about us that has changed. We've, we've changed from, uh, from darkness to light. Uh, imagine for a moment that like, you're in a dark room. And you can't see anything in this room. What do you do when you're in a dark room? The lights are out. You're trying to, like, navigate. Maybe the power has just gone out in your house. And you're, like, trying to find the flashlight that's, like, under your bed in the far back corner of the drawer. Usually you knock into stuff. (laughs) Maybe you trip over stuff. Maybe you stub your toe. But when the lights come back on, it just changes your perspective and you can see and you're, you like, instead of like hunching over and sticking your arms out, you like stand up straight and you walk with confidence because you can see. Well, Christ Jesus is like the lights have been turned on in our life. Now we can see reality. We can see uh, truth. We can see sin for sin and truth for truth. 
And yet sometimes we choose to live as if the lights are out. Now imagine that. You're like the room is light, but you're now like pretending that it's dark. <laughs> you're like tripping over things. You don't have to trip over things. You can, you can see like the, the children's toys on the floor. You can, you can see, you know, the, the, the spoon or, or whatever you dropped. But instead, you trip over those things. See, we will go through times when we will fall back into darkness on occasion. But that doesn't mean, well, we'll live as if we're in darkness, but that doesn't mean that we're actually in darkness. See, once we've gone from darkness to light, we can't go back. We're with Christ Jesus. It says, it says you are light in the Lord. You are light. Have you ever been called light before? Like, hey, hey, light. <laughs> Jeremy Light. Does that feel good? You're like, ah, oh, Jonathan Light, Bernie Light, Diane Light. Like we are light. Something about us has changed. There's something at our base level that has been renewed. One of the ways that I've kind of wrestled with this is identifying myself as a sinner. As believers, as, as Christians, should we identify ourselves as sinners? Because we're saints, just because, I, just because I sin, does that make me, in my identity, a sinner? Well, you may plumb, right? On occasion, you may fix your toilet, but that does not make you a plumber. <laughs> as believers, we have left darkness and we have gone into light. We're no longer sinners, but saints. Yes, we sin on occasion, but something about our, our root identity has changed. Something at our base level. There are lots of ways we identify ourselves, right? Maybe you think of your job and you identify yourself through your job. I'm a pastor or, uh, or a, an engineer or a teacher uh, or maybe your role in the family. You're a mom or a, a dad, uh, a, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, these are not bad ways to identify ourselves. But if you know Jesus, there is a, a new way that you can identify yourself that is actually the truest identity that you have. And that's a, that's a child of God. Uh, a child of God. And you are, you are light, you are a saint you're just like your older brother, Jesus. We must abstain from immorality and expose our darkness to Christ's light. And one of the ways we do that is by recognizing our new identity in Jesus. And this light, it doesn't, it doesn't really come from ourselves. It comes from Christ. John 1.5 says this. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Christ. This light emanates from Jesus, from a relationship with Christ Jesus. And so we shine Christ on our darkness. So when we admit our sins, right, or when someone comes to us and points out our sin, that's a good thing, right, so that we can examine our hearts and so we can repent and confess and say, yes, I'm wrong, I disobeyed God. That's a good thing, but that's half the process, the other half of the process is saying, let's, okay, so we've, we've kind of revealed your darkness, but let's, let's shine Christ on it. 
Let's, let's just say how Jesus changes your heart. How, change, how, how, how Jesus lights up that darkness. Jesus loves you. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus wants to, to, to rule over your life and to change you day by day into that person that you're really supposed to be. Yes, we point out the bad, but we also apply Jesus. We offer forgiveness and grace. And we see this in verses 11, 13, and 14. Verse 11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Lay them bare. Lay lay your darkness bare. Verse 13, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. We expose it through Christ. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Verse 14, This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You. To expose something means to like clearly identify it, to lay it bare, to see what it really is. Have you ever been in a room and you touch something and you're not sure what it is? Maybe it really freaks you out because it's like small and furry. You're worried that maybe it's a mouse. (laughs) You turn on the lights and it's just Bernie. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that happens to you, Diane. Well, in our life, sometimes there's things that that go on in our hearts, on the inside, that that is darkness. That, that, That we can't quite tell, what is this? What's going on inside of me? Like, why am I thinking these things? Why am I wrestling with these things? Why am I feeling this way about this person or that person? What's the best way to deal with it? Well, to expose it to the light, to expose it to Christ Jesus, to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I lay this before you. And if you're having trouble processing it, saying, I need a brother or sister, help me, help me uh, to, to identify, is this sin? Is, this something I, is there something I should do with this? Should I, should I go and talk with someone? How can I expose what's going in my heart before my king, before Jesus, so that he can shine his light on it. Expose your heart to Christ so that he can shine his light on you. I think the most beautiful part of our passage tonight is verse 14. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's an early church hymn. So it was written during the New Testament. They don't think that Paul wrote that, but he's quoting it. When we confess our sins, when we shine the light of Christ on our darkness, we're reenacting this passage. This passage is actually about the resurrection, verse 14. That one day, you and I, who know Christ Jesus are going to be called forth from our graves. We're going to be called forth from the darkness, and we're going to enter into the light of eternal life with Christ Jesus. And so when I confess my sins, when I bring my sin out of the darkness and to the light, that's just like a mini resurrection. It's a a picture of death coming to life. And you can feel it in your heart, right, when you finally have that burden of sin lifted off you through exposing it. Like you straighten up, you walk a little taller, you feel a little bit more hopeful, you look up. It's a mini-resurrection. That's a picture of the joy 
and the life that one day we are going to experience when Christ Jesus calls us from the dead, when he says to you and to me, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Shine Christ on your darkness. My final point is this. We must abstain from immorality, expose our darkness to Christ's light, and give thanks to God. Verses 19 to 20 say this, Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go to things like sexual immorality and consumerism and uh, the words that come out of our hearts. Uh, It can be negative and we go to things like alcohol because we as humans experience emptiness. As we live in this world, we recognize that there is something that is missing and so we try to fill that in different ways. So we have a broken relationship with God. All of humanity has a broken relationship with God. And so we're not satisfied. So we look for satisfaction. And God says, I can satisfy you through Christ Jesus. You can begin to taste that eternal satisfaction. I don't think any of us will ever be completely satisfied in this life. But as we begin to, begin to know Christ Jesus and fellowship with him and fellowship as part of the, kind of the church family, together worshiping Christ, we can know a little bit of that peace that nothing in the world can, can, can offer, can meet. I love our passage because it really it kind of drills down to the heart. It says to sing and to make music. Uh, it's attributed to the Greek philosopher Pythagoras as saying, music is the language of the heart, the only language that enters the soul without having to pass through the filter of the brain first. <laughs> Just goes straight to the heart. And so when things are coming at us, they're coming at our mind and our eyes and our body, these temptations, this, 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 these, these things that we could, we could accept and we could welcome in. Instead, sing. Focus on Christ. Make music. And something really beautiful happens. I really enjoyed uh, Jenny's song, and I think it meant more to hear that song because we knew where Jenny was coming from. We know a little bit of her story. Like, it's great when we hear, you know, other songs from other authors, other people that are composers that have written them. But there's something special when a fellow believer, a fellow follower of Christ, someone that we know personally is making music. Then you can enter in and you can help them. When you sing with them, you can help them focus on Christ instead of maybe those other temptations, fear or doubt. We must abstain from immorality, expose our darkness to Christ's light, and give thanks to God. What better way to, to give thanks to God than through making music? I'm going to pray uh, for the offering, and then the worship team's going to come back up and lead us in more music, more thanksgiving. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to expose our hearts to your grace, to your light. Would everyone here tonight, Lord, find their identities in Christ Jesus? Would 
we, would we see ourselves through what he has made us, children of God. It's easy to focus on all the darkness in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. Would you help us this week to focus on Christ, to be that light that we already are? I pray for the offering. Would you bless it? Thank you for the report we had last week at the members meeting, all the ways that you are blessing us financially. And yet, Lord, we ask for a little bit more to, to be able to do what you're calling us to. We ask for you to bless us financially again this week. Turn our hearts in praise to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.